His word, Romans 10, 17, that all new life uh, comes from, spiritual life. Just as God spoke the world into being in Genesis through his word, he brings life even now through his word. And so we seek to elevate his word because it is what we need. We seek to be gospel-centered which means that we want to view every passage of Scripture. We want to view every ministry that we do. We want to view every budget decision that we make as a church and every ministry that we, that we seek to cultivate through the lens of the gospel. Uh, we know that our deepest need is to be uh, reunited with God after the separation that was born into us through our sin. And so we need to be gospel-centered, always putting this message before us because it is the only thing that can change hard hearts like mine and like yours. We desire to be health-minded, and that word packs a big punch. What does it mean? I would encourage you, walk with me through our our Next Step new members class, even if you're an old member. Uh, But we seek to be putting before our church the things that the Bible says is healthy, even if those things are uncomfortable or unfamiliar. The Bible has given us a a pathway for how we are to orient ourselves as a church, and that involves a few different things, uh, but we seek to be health-minded. We desire to be healthy instead of big, uh, but knowing that typically healthy things grow, uh, we, we desire not to put the cart before the horse there. And the last thing that we'll be hopefully mentioning to you very soon in a particular way, we desire to be mission-oriented. We hope to be able to put before you a couple of missions opportunities that go beyond our community, maybe even beyond the borders of our country uh, soon. We desire to take this gospel that has changed us uh, to our neighborhood and to the nations. One of the ways that we've sought to do all of this is by teaching through the Bible, uh, through books of the Bible. This is the regular diet of our church, even though we pause occasionally to go through series like we did with our marriage series and uh, a series on what is the church. Uh, We also desire to have our regular diet of the Bible just be walking through books of the Bible so that we don't miss things that might be hard uh, to talk about. And so uh, in the last couple of years, we've been through Philippians and we've been through James and we're coming to the end of John, uh, the Gospel of John, which is where I'm going to ask you to join me now in John chapter 20. Uh, Probably after this morning, we will have two, maybe three more sermons, and then we will wrap up, John, and I would invite you just to, would you just pray for our church, and would you selfishly ask you to pray for me as I seek to uh, just figure out exactly where the Lord would have us to go next? I'll give you a little hint. Um, I'm, I'm really sensing from the Lord uh, that, um, that Titus, the book of Titus, might be next for us, but I, I want to be sensitive to, to how God might lead us. And so I would just ask, I would covet your prayers. Um, I don't want to, to take a step without God's leading, and so um, I just I, I petition you. Would you pray for our church so that uh, we might hear um, uh, from God, uh, from the book that he would have us to um, I'm going to read the first few verses, John 19 through 23, and then we'll pray. Would you read with me John 20, 19 through 23? It says this, and this is the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I'll just pause here. Isn't it interesting? The first message that Jesus had for his people after he rose from the dead was a message of peace. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we pray to you because we know that what we are doing is an incredibly important thing. We are putting ourselves under your word today. But I pray that we would consider the text of this book to be our authority. That the authority of man would not rule over us. That the authority of opinion or of popular uh, consensus or the authority of the culture and what the culture teaches would not be our authority. But that our authority for life would be the word of God. And Lord, we know that what we are doing today is a dangerous thing. Because there is no such thing as, as... interacting with your word without being changed by it. We will either be changed for the better because we respond in a, in a softness of heart and a willingness to hear and to change, or we will respond in a, in a callousness of heart and, and our ears will be just um, further turned off to what you have to say to us. And I pray that we would approach your word humbly today, knowing that it has the power of life. Uh, We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Is Jesus here? He's risen from the dead and he gives his people a gift. He gives them peace. But he also says that the gift that he gives them has a purpose. It, it, It is intended to do something in them. Have you ever received a gift and it was not clear at first what the purpose of that gift was? Uh, I've got a couple of stories. I, I knew a, a buddy of mine that I grew up with. His name was Ben. And one year, his parents gave him a dirt bike helmet. And that was confusing to Ben because he didn't have a dirt bike. And uh, so it was a little confusing to him about what is the purpose of this gift. But then they took him down into the basement and showed him that they had also gotten him a dirt bike. So then the gift that he understood what the, what the purpose for the gift was when he saw what they had for him in the basement. Likewise, uh, uh, another guy that I knew received uh, for Christmas from his parents a mason jar full of mud. Now, uh, you might assume on first blush that he had not been very good that year, and that this is all that his, his parents thought that he had deserved was a mason jar full of mud, but that was just kind of a, I don't know, um, just a little bit of a hint toward what they had gotten him, and his dad had found this old Toyota four-wheel drive truck uh, that had had all the Sunday knocked off of it, and he just said to his son, here, this is your mudding truck, just tear it up, right? You can't, you can't damage it. If you tear it up, no big deal. And so um, that's, that's what he received. Um, when I turned 15, uh, went to one of my favorite restaurants and uh, family was there, and my aunt and uncle gave me a Kleenex box. This was confusing to me because I didn't have a cold or anything like that, but on the top of the Kleenex box, there was a little tab that said, pull here. And so I pulled and there were 
$1 bills taped end to end, and there were, there were like 40 or 50 of them. And so I'm sitting there at the table just pulling these $1 bills, and then I had to, of course, like cut them you know, later and things like that. But it wasn't clear what the, what the gift was for when I first received that Kleenex box and when my friends got their helmet and their jar of mud. In the same way, when Jesus shows up to his disciples here, he gives them peace. He tells them, peace be with you. And if we just approach this passage and we stop right there at verse 19, we might just think that the application for us is, hey, look what Jesus does. Isn't he a very kind Savior? He just comes to give us peace. He comes to put us at ease. And he does that, friends. Praise God that God comes to give us peace. But there's also a purpose behind his giving of that peace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But let's zero in on the first two verses, verses 19 and 20. Jesus has a heart to bring peace to his followers. He, he comes, we see this picture of them. They're in this room. They're huddled together behind locked doors, which is just an image for the fear that they feel and maybe the disappointment and the uncertainty. But we, we come to this passage and we have to ask ourselves, why does Jesus say, peace be with you? And, and then we, we have to ask ourselves, how is it that Jesus seeks to instill peace in us? Is the peace that Jesus tries to give believers, is the peace that he offers believers just a simple restfulness of heart, just a, a freedom from anxiety, or is it deeper than that? And how is it that we today can access that same peace? I don't know if you noticed this, but immediately when Jesus says, peace be with you, verse 20, the next sentence opens this way. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I don't know about you, but honestly, I, I, I may be thinking about this too simply, but I think it's just incredibly clear what Jesus is trying to teach them and what Jesus is trying to teach us. When he says, peace be with you, look at my hands and look at my side. Friends, we are all tempted to get peace and to get rest through all different kinds of avenues and through all different kinds of channels, many things offer us peace. But what Jesus said to his disciples here in John 20, and I believe what he is still saying to us today through his word, is that there is one way through true and genuine peace and that is by understanding what Christ has done on the cross. What was it that caused those wounds to be in his hand and in his side? It seems that Jesus believes that the very thing that can give his fearful earliest disciples peace is by remembering who he is and by remembering what he has done. So we... We're tempted to, to look for peace through all, all kinds of different channels, through Netflix binge sessions. If we can just distract ourselves from our problems, maybe we can get 
a modicum of peace. Or maybe through a substance we can get peace. But what Jesus seems to indicate here is that peace is available to those who have placed their identity wholly in the wounds of Jesus. Through His work, we can find rest for our souls. It's the fact that Jesus has overcome the grave. This is the overarching truth of all of life that can bring rest to our anxious souls. So he comforts them with the evidence of his wounds. Last week on Reformation Sunday, we sang Martin Luther's, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And in that song, there's that beautiful, beautiful line that says, The body they may kill, but his truth abides still. His truth abideth still. You see, it's, it's the doctrinal truth. It's, the, it's the, the biblical truth of who Christ is and what Christ has done that must be the rock upon which we build our lives if we are to have any hope of peace at all. This is the foundation that produces a life of peace. So you lose your job, your biggest problem is still taken care of at the cross. Jesus has promised to be with you. So you have a, a health concern that has come up and it's not looking good. Jesus' wounds have stated that come what may, you will still win if you are in Him. So you have a relational difficulty. You can't seem to get on the other side of it. Maybe it's your marriage or a family member that's estranged from you or some difficult relationship like that. Our identity being firmly fixed in the wounds of Christ is our only source of peace and comfort. Let me encourage you, church. Don't seek to hide in any other refuge. All of those refuges won't stand up. I remember being at a campground um, one time when I was a kid, and uh, we were in southern Virginia, and... Um, and our family had a camper. It was actually kind of a large camper. And, uh, and we parked into our, into our parking spot there. And I remember just down the hill from us, there were some folks who were tent camping, you know. And, um, and that night, there was forecast to be a very bad storm. And I remember this storm blew through, and I remember being incredibly scared. I mean, the lightning was, was very, very loud. Which, I mean, it was very nearby, and it was so nearby that it was lighting up, you know, inside, even though we were in a wooded space. Um, and, and I just remember thinking, those people down there, I wonder how they're doing. You know, I wonder what they're doing. And I think, you know, during the night, they had left and gone to, like, one of the shelters or something. But where we hide will determine the level of peace that we live our lives in. And friends, the, the testimony of Scripture here, the way, that Jesus sings, the way that Jesus brings peace to His people is by reminding them of who He is and what He has done. So I would encourage you, preach to yourself the gospel. Remind yourself of who Jesus is. Romans 5 uh, tells a little more about uh, how we are to get um, the peace of God by understanding who He is. Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 11, I'll just read this briefly. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. In other words, available in Christ is a kind of peace that can cause you not simply to endure suffering, but to rejoice when you are going through them. What else offers that kind of peace? And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though he would perhaps die for one. Uh, for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us even uh, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is our only source of comfort. And I pray, friends, that God would teach us as a church, as individuals, to plant our life on this. Titus, which of course I'm thinking Titus these days, Titus tells pastors to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So even though uh, you know, this part, I have, to, I have to apply this in some different ways, I just want to put the church on notice and warn you of a couple of common ways in our culture today that people are not trusting in the wounds of Christ, but they're trying to place their trust in something else. And these things have a, a really religious twist to them. The first um, is, is called the Word of Faith Movement. The Word of Faith movement. I've given you a definition there. It's a movement arising from the Pentecostal prosperity gospel uh, that teaches that there is a spiritual power available through our thoughts and the spoken word. Uh, now, many, many of us would not be uh, duped by these slick televangelists who are seeking to you know, get you to donate to their funds so that they can purchase a Learjet and fly around the world. Many people would not be duped by that, but part of that larger prosperity gospel movement has this way of speaking. It's called the Word of Faith movement. And what it does is, it, because it's more of a way of thinking, it seeps into all denominations and all manners of thinking, and into every really kind of Christian lane. You may hear people who are influenced by this speak like this. I am believing God for good health. Or I am claiming victory over financial trouble. You may hear folks speak that way. And it's not that we, be, it's not that we don't believe that Jesus can't do miracles, that he doesn't rescue us out of problems. The main problem here is that this word of faith movement substitutes trust in God's sovereign hand, and it instead tries to tell God what to do. The gospel, on the other hand, puts steel in our spines such that we can say, Lord, come what may. If this sickness ends in death, the gospel tells me that I still win. That's the gospel. Our hope is not in our circumstances changing, friends. Our hope is that no matter our circumstances, God stays the same. And He will be with us. That's the gospel. Uh, teach me, Lord, so that you will be enough for me. Because you rose from the grave. Because I have seen your wounds. I have everything that I need in you. That is what the gospel is. See, we come to Christ not because He gives us benefits. We come to Christ not because He has sold us a bag of goods, a bill of goods. We come to Christ because He Himself is beautiful.
and he is worth living for. Uh, another way that we might get off the rails, and this is very common in, in, in our tradition, is moralism. Uh, moralism is not the gospel, but it, it is, it is uh, respectable, it's commendable, it's very American, but it is not the gospel. Moralism is a, a system of living that believes the main goal of life and of faith is to produce generally good behavior, Right? That, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not come to church so that you can raise kids who are nice and clean and get a scholarship. The, the gospel is we are wicked sinners who are lost. And we need Christ to save us. We don't need to be cleaned up. We need to be made alive again. This is the gospel. This, but, but this moralism is kind of a try-harder-ism. I don't know where it came from, but it certainly followed us east of Eden. It certainly came out of, out of the fall. Maybe us pastors are, are guilty of it. Maybe us churches are guilty of it. Maybe we're the cause of it. I don't know. If, if we really need somebody to help in the nursery or in a Sunday school class, sometimes churches have been guilty of trusting more in guilt as a motivator than in, than in changed hearts and people willingly wanting to serve. But wherever it came from, I'm going to give you a quote from Tim Keller who explains the problem. This is over the course of two slides. This is why we see people who try to change through moralistic behaviorism. They find themselves repeatedly lapsing into sins that they thought themselves incapable of committing. They can't believe they embezzled or lied or committed adultery or felt so much blind hatred that they lashed out. Appalled at themselves, they say, I wasn't raised that way, but they were. For moralistic behaviorism, even deep within a religious environment, it continues to nurture the ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on self that is the mark of hell. This is the reason people embezzle, lie, and break promises in the first place. It also explains why churches are plagued with gossip and fighting. Underneath what appears to be unselfishness is great self-centeredness, which has been enhanced by moralistic modes of ministry and is marked by liberal doses of sanctimony, judgmentalism, and spite. Many people, after years of being crushed under moralistic behaviorism, abandon their faith altogether, complaining that they are exhausted and can't keep up. But the gospel of God's grace doesn't try to bend a heart into a new pattern. It melts it and reforms it into a new shape. Friends, the gospel is not try harder. The gospel is not be better. The gospel is not clean yourself up. The gospel is you can't do it, and that's why you need Jesus. That's what the gospel is. And friends, I hope that you are not hiding in your own works. I hope that you are not hiding in your own good behavior. I hope that you are hiding in the wounds of Jesus because it's the wounds of Jesus that can save us. It's only the wounds of Jesus that can save us. The gospel is not try harder or do better. That will just leave you exhausted, trying to save yourself by being good, clean people. You know, I've told you this story before. You know where I'm from. I'm from just about 20 minutes away from Mayberry, North Carolina, Mount Airy, right? Surrey County. This is where you sit on the porch after church and call people by their first name and, you know, 
listen to the music and play, pick a little guitar there. And everybody's nice and clean and nobody has any problems other than the service station is not open today. Do you know that in 1997, the History Channel put out a documentary on the Ku Klux Klan? And they needed to go somewhere to find modern day footage of a Klan rally. You know where they went to find that footage? To the steps of the courthouse in Surrey County, North Carolina. Apparently all those nice clean people weren't all so nice and clean after all, were they? Friends, it doesn't matter how we look on the outside. We need the gospel. We need the gospel desperately. Only it can change us. Let me encourage you. Don't trust in the power of your words to bring about reality. That's almost more Eastern religion than it is Christianity. Let me encourage you not to trust in your good works. Don't trust in these distractions from the gospel. Trust in the wounds of Jesus alone and find your rest there. Number two. Jesus brings peace to equip us for his mission. This is where I get back to, at the very beginning of the sermon, I gave you those illustrations. What is the purpose of this peace? Why has Jesus given us peace? Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was not giving them peace so that they could just kick back in their recliners until Jesus called them home one day. Jesus was giving them peace so that they could be equipped to get about his mission. Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, you know, Jesus' whole life was one big mission trip. The Father sent the Son to earth to to save lost humanity. And now, as Jesus has risen from the dead and He's about to ascend into heaven, what He's really doing here is almost kind of passing off the baton to the church to say, keep preaching the gospel that I have been preaching. And He says this very kind of uh, hard to interpret uh, thing here in verse 23. If you have a copy of the sermon, which is available in the back and available right here, I have a longer footnote uh, that gives you a little more detail that, that I can give in the time that I have up here. But he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold sin, uh, forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Basically what he's saying is that it's the gospel of the Father that he has given to me that offers forgiveness of sins. You need to give this gospel to other people so that they can be right with God too. This is what Jesus has done. He has put us here so that we might impact our neighborhood and the nations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus hasn't come simply to give peace, period. He's come to give peace so that we can get about his kingdom. Can I be honest with you and confess something? When I'm anxious and when I get worried... And when I begin to fret, it's in those moments that I'm tempted just to care about me and me getting out of my situation, the situation that's making me fret and the situation that's making me anxious. I get very focused on self instead of focused on others. But what Jesus says here is that I've, I've offered you peace so that you can be about others, so that you can be about the kingdom. And, and what I have to do when I get in that place is I have to just say, Jesus, would you forgive me for coming to you just to get your benefits and not really wanting to get about your kingdom? 
Friends, we have to come to Jesus for Jesus. And the the good news is, he has said that when we seek first his kingdom, all of these things will be added to us. You see, we can actually miss the peace of Christ by aiming for it. But if we aim at Christ, we get his peace. You see that? If we, if we go to Jesus for Jesus, we get all of his benefits too. But if we just aim it at the benefits of Jesus, we might even miss those. I would encourage you, seek after the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. I want to read you a verse that was read earlier that Lee read for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador doesn't carry his own message, does he? An ambassador carries a message from the king. A lot of times the ambassadors get shot, right? The, the, don't kill the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Sometimes the messenger gets shot, but we have this message from the king. And this message is the one that can save. And this is what God has called us to. And so friends... As I said earlier, one of the things we seek to be about is gospel-centered and, and, and mission-oriented. I, I pray that God would stir in your heart just through the reading of his word today, through the seeing of, of what God has intended for us, that we would be a church and be individuals who are giving our entire lives over to this mission. And I would ask you this by way of just how we can apply this. Would you consider the reason that Jesus has given you what he's given you? Do you have time? Why has Jesus given you a retirement? What does he intend for you to do with the most free part of your life? Your retirement. Has Jesus given you resources? Has God given you those? Why would he do that? Has he given you peace? Relative lack of trouble. Why would he do that? The Bible seems to say here that the reason Jesus gives us benefits is so that we could, in turn, use them for his kingdom. I'm going to leave you with this last point. We're going to read a few more verses. Jesus brings peace right where we need it. Verses 24 through the end of the chapter. Would you read with me? Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to him, he said to them, unless I see his hands in the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again 
And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It's almost like a flashback. I mean, it's like a deja vu. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things are written... What is the purpose for the Gospel of John? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Friends, I don't know if you limped into church today. I don't know if you strutted into church today. But I've got some good news. And the good news is this that wherever it is that you need peace, Jesus is kind and patient and willing to bring peace to that place. Thomas gets a bad rap, doesn't he? And we, we call him Doubting Thomas, as if we would be any different if we were in his shoes. Jesus doesn't come and rebuke him, does he? Jesus meets him at his point of need and gives him what he needs in order to believe. Would it be crazy to think that Jesus is willing to do the same thing for you? Would it be crazy to think that the same Jesus that we see here who is so patient and so kind and so condescending and willing to accommodate Thomas is willing to be patient and kind and condescending in the good way and willing to accommodate you? wherever your weakness is. This is the the Savior that we serve. And I would encourage you, whatever compartment of your life that you have not given over to Him, would you let go of it today? Let's pray. Lord, you are so kind to us. You show your kindness in Christ. You show us uh, that He is patient and kind. He is able to deal with wayward people like us. And as He, as he treated Thomas in patience, uh, He is able to treat us as well. And so God, I pray that we would see the message of Jesus, that we would see that You offer peace only through the wounds of Your Son's cross I pray that we would not look in any other refuge. We would not go to moralism or to uh, the word of faith movement or to uh, license or to distraction. I pray that we would not go uh, to any of these other avenues that ultimately just don't satisfy. I pray that we would look only to you. God, I pray a special prayer. I pray that you would grow our church in health. I pray that you would make us a healthy church, Lord, more than you would make us big. I pray that you would cause us to so yearn after you that the, that the fragrance of the gospel just, um, just uh, radiates from us. Lord, I pray if there is one here today who is determined in their heart that they need to not place their trust anywhere else other than in the wounds of Jesus, I pray that they would do that today. I pray that they would make public what you have done in their heart. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.